This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. The button push and stops here. Plug the radio in. Yeah, everyone, you are listening to Evidence for Faith, and this radio station does broadcast uh, the truth about the ultimate power in the universe. This is the Christian Evidences and Worldview program that helps Christians become thinkers, and thinkers become Christians. Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Mike Larrakis. And I'm Keith Kendricks. And Keith, today we have a uh, very interesting show. Uh, yep. We're going to be talking about some odds and ends first in the news, and uh, we're also going to be talking about uh, Christian apologetics and really mm-hmm. how do miracles um, relate to right. what we use as a defense for our Christian faith, which is what apologetics is all about. So we're going to be talking about um, the basis for apologetics as well as using miracles within that context. Exactly right. But before that, we have a couple of things that are coming up in the community there is the Vineland Men's Resurrection Breakfast, and that is going to be this coming Saturday, March 27th at 8 a.m. at the Vineland uh, Gymnasium, High School Gymnasium. That's right. That's on Chestnut Avenue, 8 o'clock. Bob Whelan will be the speaker. Right, who is, we just interviewed last week. He's a terrific individual, a phenomenal motivational speaker, a man without legs who has uh, the heart of a lion. Uh, he has never been held back in any way, shape, or form, despite the fact that he does not walk. Yep. Um, a strong Christian. A very strong Christian. Yep. So uh, so that'll be a great time uh, for those interested in that. And if you're interested in—we uh, did interview him last week. That is up online at our website, evidenceforfaith.com. That's evidence, the number four, faith.com. And Tickets. We have Tickets are still available, and if you're interested in tickets, you can go to uh, the South Jersey Youth Alliance website um, and uh, make contacts that way, Uh, or you can uh, call us here at the station, and we can give you a telephone number specifically where you can uh, order tickets. They're trying to sell tickets uh, 10 at a time so that you have a table, so that your uh, youth group, your, your Bible study group, your church group, your men's group, uh, can uh, be accommodated. This is a men's resurrection breakfast, so men and boys uh, are uh, open, uh, openly invited to this. Tickets are $15 a piece. Okay. All right. Great. And after that, the week after, Keith and Mike are going to be speaking at the First Baptist Church of Egg Harbor City. So that's at 236 London Avenue. And we're going to be talking about the resurrection, right, Mike? Well, we're actually going to be talking about the crucifixion, uh, the physiology, uh, the medicine, and the pathology that um, uh, goes into crucifixion. And we're going to talk about the certainty of, of death by crucifixion uh, and why it is that um, um, we know for a fact that Jesus mm-hmm. died. And why is that important? Uh, because it, it sets up the resurrection, which is the most uh, right. talked about and written about miracle on this planet, yep. and if Christianity is true, then the resurrection has to be true, because all of Christianity rests on the resurrection of Christ. Right. So now, 
So, yes. So that'll be great. And that's a, that's a breakfast, 8 a.m., April 3rd, so the Saturday before Easter. Right, and uh, that is a free men's breakfast. Uh, There will be a a donation uh, being asked uh, sometime during that uh, breakfast. Breakfast is at 8. The presentation will probably start promptly at 9. I've got a phone number if uh, people need more information. It's 965-2177. 965-2177. They do need a headcount, men. So if you and your church group or Bible study or men's group are going to go to that uh, in, uh, in an uh, attempt to prepare for breakfast, they do need a headcount. So give them a heads-up call and tell them how many men will be coming uh, from your group. All right. And we have a very interesting news item. This is, you know, um, I hope people are getting the idea that at the beginning of the show, this is where we bring you some of the latest advances in science, astronomy, uh, genetics, biology, that show the truth of Christianity. And I think maybe people have been reading the past uh, in the news for the past five to ten years about some of the DNA research that's mm-hmm. been done on human beings and their spread around the world. And um, the fact that uh, human beings are all related together. So, um, Mike, you're very familiar with that, being uh, that's your field, medicine. And so you know that everybody is related to one person. You're, you're talking about common descent. That's right. Okay, not ascent in the form of evolutionary ascent from the ape. We're talking about common descent. And you're right, we can track it all the way back to a common female ancestor uh, written about in the uh, scientific journals as mitochondrial Eve. Yeah, they gave her the name Eve. Yeah, there's a a distinct, unusual flavor about females in that the mitochondria can be tracked back to an original ancestor. Mm Mm-hmm. And they call this mitochondrial Eve. Now, that's and that's a, because that that part of the DNA doesn't mix like uh, male and female shares half and half. Right. But the mitochondria gets passed along in the egg of the woman, and so it isn't shared. It just is passed on down from uh, mother to child, mother to child, mother to child, all the way down. That is correct. So they can trace that back, and it does go back. Originally, they thought it would have multiple, there would be multiple sources, but it turns out that there's only one, and they call her mitochondrial Eve. That's fascinating. And they, they've also done research with DNA to see that um, people all originated from a single locality. Mm-hmm. And now some of the reports that you see, uh, they say it's from uh, Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you actually look at the data itself, uh, it's the Middle East is where the most diverse gene pool is, and that's how they do it. They they look at what's the most diverse gene pool, and then what becomes more and more specialized as it gets subtracted from the gene pool and travels away to Asia or Europe or down into Africa and loses some of that genetic information. And so, you're, you're talking about color of the skin, color of the eyes. The, uh, everything, the uh, entire human uh, genome. Right. Certain peculiar features, let's say, that are peculiar to Scandinavians, peculiar to Asians, peculiar to uh, uh, Africans, and so forth. That's right. Mm -hmm. They have only part of the total genetic information for human beings because they separated themselves 
uh, from the rest of the gene pool. Yeah, sequestered. Right. That's right. So all you have to do to figure out which is the and what the path of human uh, travel has been over uh, thousands of years is to look at what uh, population, what indigenous population has the most diverse um, gene pool. And that turns out to be Middle Easterners have the most diverse gene pool. And so they are the oldest and original um, as best as it can be preserved, uh, genetic information for human beings. Now, when that came out several years ago, I made a prediction that all they had to do then was take a look and see if animals' DNA also traced back to the Middle East, because then that would fit the Bible's description of how life um, uh, was spread across the, the earth. And we have new information that just was released a couple of days ago from the uh, science journal Nature, which is the preeminent journal on evolution. And it says that uh, all dogs, all dogs today, every breed, husky, Sharpay, terrier, mutt, anything, all descended from wolves that live in the Middle East. That's fascinating. Yeah. So all dogs in the dog family came originally from the Middle East. The study looked at 900 dogs from 85 breeds and 200 wild wolves, including wolves from North America, Europe, Middle East, uh, and East Asia. So they analyzed more than 48,000 genetic markers, and that allowed them then to build a canine family tree. And that that trunk, the base part, all stems and is rooted in the Middle East. So uh, that is really fascinating uh, news. So what you're saying then, Keith, is that uh, all of the, at least the dog species, had its origin in that area of the world. The cradle of civilization is what we're talking about. Right. Or to be more precise, if, if you are a Bible-believing uh, Christian, uh, whatever happened after the Noahic flood, uh-huh. and then what came off of the, the boat at that time, Noah's Ark, from that po- point spreading around the globe was this pool that they've, they've now uh, localized to uh, wolves and, and all the dog breeds from that point. Exactly right. Exactly mm-hmm. right. So that is really um, fascinating, fascinating news, and we just await the rest of the DNA studies on the rest of animals, um, you know, cows and and giraffes and and the rest. So it'll be really uh, fascinating to see how that how that goes. Well, um, Mike, today um, we are going to be talking about apologetics and this radio uh, show. Uh, if you are interested in uh, joining the discussion, you can call us at 609-398-1020. And don't forget also to check us out on the website, evidenceforfaith.com. And just as a friendly reminder, Keith, we should let our uh, uh, people know, our listening audience know, that if they do miss a show, they can always go to the website and download the audio file uh, of the uh, discussion that they missed or if they frequently, we will reference a previous discussion um, that you can also track down on the audio files and yep. uh, listen on your iPod or on your computer. Yep, we've got we've got all for um, a year and a half now. Mm. So, well, I made some notes uh, because I was concerned about you know the political situation that we find ourselves in today with uh, 
really watershed uh, votes being made that are, are going to potentially change the face of the United States and the way the government uh, is run and the way it interacts with the people. And we do discuss politics on this show because um, we talk about the uh, Christian ideas that have built Western civilization. So we talk about, uh, you know, political ideas that came from the Bible. A lot of our listeners are interested in political conservatism and the ideas that uh, made this nation and other Western nations great. And even there are a lot of economical uh, ideas. And we've talked about economics on the past and the types of ideas that stem from uh, what the Bible reveals to us. Um, So the point of this show is to defend these truths the truths that have been uh, expressed in the Bible and that have been used by our founding fathers um, to build Western civilization and to make it the greatest place for human flourishing that the world has ever seen. And never in the history of the earth has have people been so free and so prosperous as in the West and in particular the United States. But we've seen a decline in freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, liberty is on the decline. As government gets bigger, liberty gets smaller. You know, liberty gets uh, less and the people get smaller. So it's not enough for uh, Christians and the church to say that the Bible's true, to just claim that the Bible's true. That's not enough. We have to prove to the next generation that the Bible really is true, and that is what this show is all about, proving that the Bible really is a revelation from God uh, to us, and that we can use the truths described in it to make the world a better place. And the, the fear I have is that you know we are facing, really, there's one big uh, enemy that we face as uh, human beings— um, and that is totalitarianism. Um, totalitarianism in any of its forms kills people. And we see it in really two main um, forms today. One is Islamic fundamentalism, uh, where they have a, uh, you know, a totalitarian way of life that uh, all of life must be focused around the Quran. Um, and it winds up getting people killed. Um, and then the other way is socialist governments. So, you know, um, that is what um, the real uh, danger is. I mean, they socialist governments kill far more people, probably 30, 40 times more people than uh, Islamic warfare has ever killed in the history of Islam. So... Um, this is why people call the 20th century the bloodiest century in human history, because of the secular, uh, Marxist, socialist governments that brutally kill their own people. And the more power you give to government, the more likely you are to be at the wrong end of the gun, the rifle that you are putting into the hands of your government. So, you know, it is because of this a biblical idea that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, that we created the United States to be a place of 
limited government, a place where people um, self-govern themselves so that there would be freedom. And with freedom comes prosperity and the kind of prosperity that uh, the world has never seen before. One of the concerns that I have, Keith, about this gradual slide into socialism uh, that we're all experiencing and, and seeing on the news uh, is that uh, there's a term called political correctness, which really um, uh, disturbs me in a great way because it was a word that really evolved out of the um, um, the Bolshevik Revolution of 1918 in Russia, which ushered in a new age of, of communism under Stalin and so forth. Uh, and if you were politically correct within the Communist Party, you said nothing about the government or its leaders, and you were quiet, you quietly supported their agenda, right. and nothing happened to you. If you were politically incorrect, you literally disappeared. Right. Now, we are seeing so much political correctness in our own country now, and mm-hmm. that is a buzzword, that uh, it's actually very dangerous when you consider its roots. Uh, but it's 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 a way of of stifling human beings. Uh, it's 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 almost a way of of censorship, if you oh, will. It absolutely because is. if you if you are not politically correct and you're and you're voicing your political incorrectness, you're you're reprimanded. Right. And I've always said that if you're politically correct, you're biblically incorrect, and vice versa. I actually had that happen to me at a public meeting. Uh, I'm on the uh, River Council. It's an environmental um, uh, group that protects the um, the river, the Egg Harbor River, the Egg Harbor River. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was Christmas time this last Christmas, and we had a, a meeting near Christmas, and we were you know having extra desserts and things like that. And so I came in and I said Merry Christmas to somebody, and somebody standing next you know uh, next to us said. That's politically incorrect. You should have said, thank you, comrade. That's what you should have said. Uh, you know, but the thing was, I want, what I wanted to get into, uh, back in the 50s and 60s, everything was based on Judeo-Christian values. Right. And that terminology was used freely within the press. Yes. Okay? Uh, that became politically incorrect, and it was mm-hmm. sort of ushered out in the 70s, mm-hmm. and the new term became family values. Okay. But if you go back to Roe v. Wade in the early 70s, there's nothing about family values that our U.S. government is supporting because they want to see the family dwindle. They want to, they want to control births. They, they, want, they right. want abortions to be paid for. They right. want it to be a woman's right. Um, and the problem yeah. is, is that there's nothing that's family-oriented at all about what the government supports, especially when you start looking at the, the, the welfare system and how it just propagates itself one generation to the next. Right. There's no family there. The father's in absentia. He's gone. Right. He's disappeared. Right. Uh, yeah, this is all part of their utopian construct. Well, this world that they've <clears throat> developed, they don't follow the Bible's view of how society ought to be set up. So they've created their own idea of how society ought to be. And it doesn't include the family. And it does include the government controlling all areas of your life because they are so smart. They can figure out how to run your life. And all we need to do, us poor, ignorant Bible believers, is just give them the vote and give them the power and they will run our lives for us. and, And be quiet. And be quiet, exactly. But what I wanted to get to, Keith, was that 50 years ago, when there was a major problem confronting a a family, the church and family 
and relatives and neighbors all pitched in and helped right. out. In fact, this construct is still in existence in Lancaster County. The yeah, Amish the people Amish. still practice this way. Right. They live this 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 quiet Christian life of family and community support, and it's all centered around God. Right. The big G in that culture and in, in previous cultures in the United States was the big G, and that was God. The big G today, unfortunately, is big government. Right. Okay, and the bigger it is, uh, the more power it has, and the more votes it controls. But it's not necessarily the way that uh, we want to go as conservative Bible believers. Right. Well, if you are just joining us, you are listening to Evidence for Faith, the Christian Evidences and Worldview radio program. I'm Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. And you can join the conversation by calling 609-398-1020. One last comment, Keith, before we get into the actual uh, program notes, uh, is that our president, uh, unfortunately, six months ago in France, actually said that we are no longer a Christian nation. He actually said that. That's a direct quote. Uh, So in his own mind, he himself is ushering in this this post-modernistic United States with a a strong leaning now towards socialism and the expansion of government. Yep, yep. Well, uh, we can do the best we can by fighting against that, by proving that the alternate view, the Christian worldview, is actually true. And that's what... That's what apologetics is all about. Uh, You know, a a kind of quick definition is the defense of Christianity, okay? And that's a, you know, simple definition. Apologetics is the defense of Christianity. But I've got a a more in-depth, a a bigger uh, definition that is from uh, Doug Guyvet, who is a uh, professor of theology and teaches on the subject of apologetics and defending the Christian faith. And his definition is that Christian apologetics is the systematic formulation and winsome presentation of a rational case for the Christian worldview and lifestyle. So that is a more expanded uh, definition of uh, what is apologetics. I think it's a very excellent uh, definition, because if you break it down into the systematic formulation, it's it's a very well-organized and very thought-out process of the concepts and the constructs behind Christianity and why it works and why it's true and why it's been working for the last 2,000 years and still continues to maintain its truth uh, even to the very moment. So if you have that as a background, and if you're strong in the the background of uh, Christian apologetics, which is what our hope is for this show, right. so that you have some background material, that you can be winsome in your presentation of the gospel and its truth and mm-hmm. its message, so that hearts and minds and souls can be one for God's kingdom. Right. And notice that in this uh, definition, we've got two aspects. We've got Christian worldview and lifestyle. Mm. So, and those two parts create a synergy together. If you have the Christian worldview and the Christian lifestyle together, they create a a synergy that becomes winsome. So, let's take a look at those parts, those two parts. Let's start with Christian worldview, Mm. okay? So, 
you know, I hope most people know what a worldview is. You know, it's a way of looking at the world. It's kind of a philosophy. It's a way that you see everything. And if you believe that certain things are true as opposed to other things, then you will see the world a certain way. And, you know, uh, the uh, political um, leftists that we've been talking about, they see the world a certain way because they believe certain things about the world. Uh, for instance, the majority of them uh, believe there is no God. Mm. Um, so we, in a sense, have to save ourselves. And so who can save us? Well, the smartest, the best and brightest of us, they ought to be given the power to save us from all of the problems that we have in this world. Well, the Christian worldview doesn't see it that way. The Christian worldview recognizes three propositions that are the foundational propositions that the entire rest of the uh, worldview that involve politics and economics and, and other areas um, are based on these three, let's call them core ideas. Uh, let, me, let me take a stab at those, okay. Keith. Those, those three core propositions would be, number one, that there is a God, right. and that God actually exists. And that's why we spend so much time on the question of does God exist on this show. Right. It is foundational. If you don't believe God exists, you're going to believe certain other things that are based on atheism. If you do believe God exists, you will believe other foundational things that lead to human flourishing and peace and prosperity. So number one is that God exists, yep. that he did create the universe, yep. that he can transcend the universe, mm -hmm. and that we as Christians believe that God actually entered into the picture about 2,000 years ago in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. So right. God would be one. Jesus Christ being the son of God would be two. Uh-huh. And finally, number three was is that God's written word, the Bible, right. is his word and that he has spoken right. to his people yep. through the written word. Yep. He has spoken to the human race and given them truth that will help them to live in this life. So, so those three then core ideas um, or basic ideas is what the Christian worldview is based on. And it makes a difference whether or not you believe those. And like I said before, it's not enough just to say that they're true or to teach our children the claim that they are true. We have to prove they're true. And that's how truth gets passed on generation to generation. Otherwise, society will collapse because mm. these views will be rejected and other views that are also claimed to be true will take precedence because maybe they fulfill somebody's personal um, uh, you know, advantage uh, in uh, personal freedom or moral freedom. Mm. And so they, those will take precedence. Now, in, in contradistinction to the Christian worldview, we have a worldview, let's say, that's promoted by the secular humanists. These are the predominant uh, group of people that are teaching our children mm -hmm. and shaping the minds of the future. Mm -hmm. These people don't believe in God. They believe in big government, right. and they believe that science, technology, and medicine will save the world. Right. We, on the other hand, don't believe in big government, and we believe that only God himself through his son can save the world. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't believe that science and technology and medicine are helpful and useful. Right. Okay, it's just that we believe that God is paramount, 
whereas the secular humanists are atheists, and they don't believe that God has anything to do with it. Right. Now, getting back to the original um, uh, show, which has to do with miracles and, and Christianity and the Christian worldview, mm-hmm. we as Christians do believe that miracles can happen within the context of the Christian worldview, Right. whereas the people who don't believe in God have no place for miracles. They can explain them away typically with science and, and so forth. Right. But we're going to be talking about that uh, a little yeah. bit more in depth. Right. So that's the that's that part. That's that world view part of the definition of, of what apologetics is. But there's also the lifestyle that goes with this worldview. There, if what we're saying is true, uh, that God exists, that the Bible is God's word, and that Jesus is God's son, then that ought to make a difference in how we live and organize our lives, how we, um, you know, orient our priorities, um, decisions that we make about family and work and and moral issues uh, are all impacted by those basic uh, worldview uh, core ideas. So, uh, you know, for example, um, if I believe that there's a God who created me and loves me and cares for me and wants me also to love and care for others, I'm going to act in a different way than if I believe that I am merely a accidental uh, uh, process uh, of of uh, chemistry and, and and nothing and. And uh, therefore, other people are also mere accidents and valueless and have no purpose or meaning to life. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, we, we're, we're talking about the evolution here, too, folks. If, if you believe that you are an animal that's evolved from uh, part the primordial soup, uh, you will have different a, a different set of priorities in life and a different set of uh, values, if you will. Uh, they won't be necessarily the Judeo-Christian values that Keith and I are speaking about. Right. Now, sometimes these two things, this worldview and the uh, lifestyle that a person is living, can be in opposition or in tension. Um, an example that um, Professor Guyvet gives, he gives, uh, he tells a story about two kids going to college. So let's call them uh, Sally and Sam. And uh, maybe Sally uh, was raised in a Christian home, and she goes off to college, and she begins to hear things that start to contradict the Christian worldview. Uh, Maybe, I think he gives an example of uh, a professor who says that uh, we are purely physical beings and that there is no soul, uh, that it's only an imaginary fiction of the chemistry that's going on in our brains. And so she begins to accept these things as though they are true, and it contradicts what her lifestyle is. Maybe she maintains a Christian lifestyle out of habit, out of being raised that way. So there's this tension uh, in her life that has to be relieved somehow. Um, It's either going to be that uh, she winds up rejecting Christianity and going with her new worldview, and then her lifestyle will then change, or she has to uh, reconnect with the worldview, the Christian worldview, and decide ultimately to reject the new ideas that she's been learning. But for a long time, there's going to be this tension, and many people live for a long time that way, with this tension between the two. 
And then, yeah. you, and, and then, and then Sam, yeah, goes off to college. And by the way, Sally and Sam uh, theoretically were in the same church youth group mm-hmm. growing up. Okay, okay, but Sam is a uh, jock. He gets a scholarship to a uh, a different university than Sally. Um, and he knows that, as a Christian, that he's not going to be able to involve himself with, with all of the activities of the fraternity that he now belongs to, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, with the, with the orgies and, and the, oh. the raucous parties and, <laughs> and so forth. Right. But he, he starts dabbling a little bit mm-hmm. in things, uh, you know, the beer drinking. Okay, well, he's not drinking to excess, and he's not getting drunk, but he's having a couple of beers now and again. Right. And then it's a couple of beers every night, and then a couple of beers every night leads to a couple of six-packs on the weekend, and before you know it, he's uh, slip-sliding away. Yeah. And now he's faced with a tension in his life. Right. And it's just kind of creeped in. So he's got this tension now that he has to resolve. And one way is to totally reject Christianity and all the stuff that he was brought up with and all the values that he was brought up with, or um, go back to church and get rid of the lifestyle scene that he's gradually slipping into. Mm-hmm. So these are real-life uh, problems that our kids are being faced with, uh, not only in high school, really. It's happening in high school and even in uh, junior, junior high. Junior high, absolutely. Uh, because the kids are being exposed to drugs and alcohol and sex at an earlier and earlier age. And they're all uh, being tempted by all the stuff that's being thrown at them. And uh, even their biology teachers in high school in 10th grade, 9th and 10th grade biology are challenging them with the concepts of, of evolution and um, and uh, the, the chemical concepts that would tell them that they are not a product of a, a wonderful, loving God that created man right. um, you know, in the Garden of Eden. Right, right. So... so that's how these two areas, Christian worldview and Christian lifestyle, kind of weave together in a person's life. They're both important. So now back to this definition then of what is apologetics. Okay, the Christian Christian apologetics is the systematic formulation and winsome presentation of a rational case for the Christian worldview and life. So um, it says winsome presentation— so what's that all about? What's winsome presentation? Well, if, if somebody looks at you and the lifestyle that you lead, they're going to see something that's distinctly different about you in this day and age. Yeah. If you're truly living a Christian life, they're going to see that you're not swearing, you're not gambling, you're not drinking, you're not um, doing things that the rest of the world is doing. You're different. You're set apart. Right. Okay. And they're going to be curious about that. Okay, that's number one. Uh, And then they're going to hear you speak uh, in certain terms, and they're going to watch you. Now, I I can give you some examples, even at my own own work, in my own office. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're we're emailing prescriptions now. Okay. Okay. Now, on my handheld computer, I checked off the wrong box on a prescription. Uh Okay. And the patient called up, oh, 10 days later when they got it in the mail, and they were furious because they got a prescription that they weren't even on, and it cost them $75. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow, yeah, that, that's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, 75 bucks uh, may not sound like a big deal to a lot of people, but it is a big deal. And so my nurses are telling me about this, this patient who's irate on the telephone, and they're looking at me like, what do I tell them? You know what I told them? I owe the patient 75 bucks. It's my, my mistake. Bring me the medicine. 
you know, I can recycle it. I can right. give it to somebody who doesn't have it. Right. Bring me the medicine, and I'm going to have a, a check cut for, for 75 bucks. That's not great. happened that's once. That's great. It's happened twice. Uh-huh. Well, that's a great solution. That's and, a great solution. And people are watching. Yes. Okay. Yes. So you're trying, you're attempting to live out uh, the Christian morals and values that you learn about from Scripture, from the Bible. But you also are a man who is very much aware of the truths of the Christian worldview. So you are using the combination of uh, knowledge and behavior mm-hmm. to, to be winsome, to win some. Remember, folks, you may be the only Bible that somebody ever reads. Right. And that's what they mean by living the life mm-hmm. and being winsome, you being set apart, your royal priesthood. So you have to be set apart. Yep. So the so a presentation, if we're going to make a presentation, then we do need some arguments. We need some evidence. Um, you know, it's important that we have facts that we can share with people. And that, again, is a purpose of this radio show, so that we can feed people with those facts and arguments. And part of that definition of apologetics, Keith, and I'm going to key in on this word, it says a rational case. Yes, Rational makes right. sense. Ironclad, yes. Yep. Ironclad, logical. You know, point A to point B, therefore point C has to be true. But it has to be done in an appealing and attractive way. Right. You know, we don't want to be argumentative. I've heard of. I was talking to a radio um, uh, producer uh, some time back, and he was telling me about an apologetics show that they ran on their radio station up in Canada. And he said the real problem with the apologetics guy was he had all kinds of facts and knowledge, but he used to argue with the people, and he would berate them. Mm -hmm. So when callers would call in to disagree with him, he would essentially attack them. And eventually they had to uh, end the show because, (laughs) you know, it's just not the way. It's a Christian radio station, and that is not the way we are to do things. We're to do things in an appealing an attractive way. You know, it, it reminds me of the, the uh, three feet of snow that we recently had uh, on the ground all at once. And, and it, it reminds me of the guy who has this 50-pound bag of bird seed uh-huh. on his shoulder. Okay. And he's all excited because the birds are finally going to be able to eat. So he, he sees this big flock of, of birds hanging out someplace on the wires or trees or whatever. Uh-huh. And he goes running out and he goes, I got exactly what you need. I got all this bird seed. You know what they did? What? They flew away. Oh. He scared them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. So he's got to be quiet about it. He's got to do his job, put the seed on the ground, and let the birds come and eat. Right. And, and then he can approach them in the future and, and feed them again and so forth. You are listening to Evidence for Faith. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. And I'm Keith Kendricks. And if you want to call in and jump into the, the conversation, the foray, and we, we promise that we won't berate you and we won't hit you over the head with a mallet, call us at 609-398-1020. So this definition also contains the concept of systematic formulation. Mm. So that's the idea that, you know, um, we have to study an approach or a, a methodology that puts everything together that we have a way of discussing issues. We know where we're going to go in the arguments um, and what we're going to wind up with. We, w- we don't want to be um, accused of, you know, um, what Dr. Guyvet calls drive-by apologetics, you know, where you start into an argument, you have no idea what you're going to talk about. You just kind of harass the person with uh, quote-unquote facts. Yeah, and you hit and run. 
Right. That's like a drive-by shooting. Yep. So, um, you know, so you you need to prepare a little bit. And that's one of the reasons why we hope that you'll continue listening to the show, that you'll take advantage of the archived radio shows that we have, that you can get interested in a particular topic in apologetics, maybe a discussion of uh, evolution versus uh, creation. Take a look at that and get prepared. Um, you know, there's a, a verse in Scripture, um, Jude 3, uh, that talks about the fact that we need to earnestly contend for the faith. Mm. And in- Interesting. Contend as a prize fighter would, uh, but to do it earnestly, and that's like without ceasing. Mm-hmm. But but the, the key here is that you're going to be uh, fighting for the cause without hurting people in the process. Right. And there's a fine balance to that. There's an art to that. And you have to do it gently and with reverence, you well, know? Well, isn't Jude just talking to the pastors and the uh, theologians? No, he's talking to the saints. He's talking to us. Anybody who's a believer, anybody who's been delivered by the, 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 the miracle of Jesus' resurrection. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that so it's for all of us. It is. You know, and, and this just really emphasizes the very high priority of apologetics, of defending the faith that uh, the Bible gives. It is part of our responsibility as Christians Mm -hmm. that we contend earnestly, is what that that verse says, contend earnestly for the faith. Yeah, the the faith is precious, and the more precious we realize that it is, the more earnestly we'll uh, contend to it. You know, especially if it's threatened. You know, if your loved ones, your family, your home— Anything was was threatened. Everything that's precious about what it is that makes up your home, you are going to earnestly contend for that. Right. right. And okay. and Christianity is incredibly valuable, not just to us individually, but to the world. Mm-hmm. And it is threatened. It must be defended. And that's the responsibility of every Christian. There's another uh, verse that talks about that. First um, Peter three fifteen. Um, I don't have it written down. Um, I, I can paraphrase that, Keith. All right. It says, uh, In your heart set apart Christ the Lord, and always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that it is that is in you. Yeah. Okay, so you have to be prepared. And hopefully this show is going to help to prepare you in some ways. Mm-hmm. And it, it implies that somebody is going to walk up to you and question you. Mm-hmm. So now, why are they going to do that? unless they see how you're living your life. So the Christian lifestyle, there again, we've got the worldview, the answers to the person, Mm. the truths, the evidences, but we've also got that lifestyle that attracts the person to see, look at how this person deals with hardship. Look at how this person deals with conflict with other people. There's something different about them. They don't get angry. They don't strike back. Um, they treat other people fairly, and that causes them to see that there's something different, and they can ask you, what makes the difference in your life? So it's not enough, Keith, to have all the answers right. as a Christian. You have to have the backup that can only be given by the distinctive lifestyle that you're living that attracts others to you so that they can ask you 
for the answers right. and the hope that lies within you. In fact, there's little value to being all that knowledgeable and then not having opportunities to share it with other people. But if you do, you know, if you do study apologetics, if you do, um, you know, bone up on the research, the scientific discoveries that have been made in the last 10, 20, 30 years that support the Christian worldview, and you live that Christian life, it means that you are working together with the Holy Spirit. I mean, that is Mm. the job of the Holy Spirit is to spread the gospel, to convict people, and spread the gospel. And when people see your life, the difference, they will become convicted and want to know what's uh, what's different about you, and then you can share. So we it becomes a tremendous thing to be a part of the Holy Spirit's ministry on earth in advancing the gospel. Yeah, I, I, I think of Mother Teresa um, frequently when, when we're talking about a life that's so distinctive and set apart that's, that's lived for Christ on a day-by-day basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, folks, you don't have to become a Mother Teresa. Yeah, I was going to say, that's you know, a tough one. Yeah, yeah. you don't have to go to Calcutta and become uh, Mother Teresa too. Uh, you have your own community, you have your own group meetings, you have your own uh, family, you have your own workplace, that you can be a living testimony uh, without having to travel uh, outside of your, your domain, really. Mm-hmm. Now, there's another verse that I think is important that uh, talks about apologetics in the Bible, and it's Second Timothy 2 verses 23 through 26. Some people will use this and say, oh, well, this this proves that we shouldn't study apologetics because it talks about getting into arguments. Well, here's what it says. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Mm. And I guess that's where most people stop. So they see, see, I shouldn't be defending the faith. I don't want to get into any arguments. Well, what does the rest of the verses say? And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct, in the hope that God will gather them, grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will." Now, he doesn't obviously mean physically captive. He means captivated by the bad ideas, the false information, the lies that are out there about things such as those core ideas. God exists. The Bible is God's revelation. Jesus Christ is God's Son. And that is what we ought to be doing, gently instructing and, guiding you know, people the, and helping them, freeing them from their captivity. And the, the most common argument that we hear, Christian, is, oh, Jesus isn't the only way. There's many, many ways to the mountaintop. Right. There's many different ways to God. Uh-huh. Why, why is it that you're saying that Jesus is the only way? What's up with that? Right. So what do you say, Keith? What do I say? Yeah. I say because that's what Jesus himself said. Jesus is the authority who says, I am the only way. Mm. So if you, you have to establish uh, some things first. You have to establish that God exists. You have to establish that God spoke to us and that he said something about uh, Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ has the authority to tell us what will happen after we die. 
And that's one of the things we're going to be talking about uh, in the breakfast that we're going to do at uh, First Baptist Church, Egg Harbor City. We're going to talk about the resurrection, the miracle of, you know, did Jesus really die and what kind of a death did he have? How do we know he actually died? If he really was dead, he really did rise from the dead. The evidence shows that uh, he really did rise. So, um, so we can then know that's like God's stamp of approval that uh, you should listen to Jesus, you know, that he has something truthful to say about the problems that we find ourselves in and what God's solution is yeah, for Je- those problems. And Jesus' resurrection was the ultimate miracle. We are going to be talking about miracles. Um, I don't know if we're going to have enough time today, Keith, but certainly next week. Well, maybe, maybe a few minutes on the background. Uh, our engineer is telling us we've got five minutes. So, um, you know, we can talk a little bit about the background of miracles, why, uh, you know, miracles is such an issue today. You know, the problem that we face, one thing is that we face the, you know, we live in a scientific mm. world today. Yeah. And, and science certainly provides all of the explanations and uh, is a study of su- such a thing that uh, they can predict in an orderly way certain things. Right. So science yeah. has a tendency to explain away miracles. But exactly. then again, they have a worldview set that doesn't allow miracles in the picture. So it's been a valuable tool for knowledge, So, and we don't deny that, and we, in fact, support science, um, because we think that the more knowledge you get, the more you realize that the Christian worldview is true. So, um, you know, so miracles then would fit into the Christian worldview. But in today's world, miracles are used as kind of just a... Um, a way of speaking, mm. you know, like maybe to describe a sunset. Wow, that's a miracle, you know. But the person doesn't really mean that it's a miracle. That's just a way, it becomes a way of speaking only. They don't really right. mean yeah, anything miraculous about yeah, it's it. It's a colloquialism, basically. Or, or when a baby is born, you know, they'll say, well, wow, wow that's a miracle. Well, you know, Keith, it is a miracle. I think ultimately, absolute sense, and anybody who's held their own newborn baby in their hand and doesn't believe that it's a miracle uh, has to have their head examined. And one of the reasons why I say that is because, uh, and here's a a thing that I throw out to a lot of my my people that I speak to: How long does it take for a pineapple to grow to maturity to the point where you can market it? Any ideas? Uh, It's something like I think you've told me this before: eighteen months. It is eighteen months. It's twice as long as a human baby. Wow. Now. I look at a pineapple and I look at a human life form that we know as a newborn baby. Right. And I say to myself, it, this is truly a living miracle. Yes. Because... So I mean, complex. Yeah, and, and I've always said that God uses the simple to compound, confound the wise. Uh-huh. I mean, a pineapple, give me a break. Right. It's a pineapple. So l- look at this flesh and blood miracle that's going to propagate its own one day. But typically people don't think miracles are real. You know, they the only time they ever use a miracle is in that offhanded way that they use the word miracle. Mm-hmm. So the now it becomes a conundrum for us as Christians. Should we try to defend the miracles that are talked about in the Bible? Should we make a case for them and try to prove that yes, miracles uh, do occur, or should we just kind of ignore them because the audience is too unreceptive um, to? the the entire view of a miracle. Well, the the miracles recorded in the Bible, Keith, were written by eyewitnesses, mm-hmm. and they were seen by many people. Um, now, if we took them to a court of law, okay, 
which testimony carries the most weight? Uh, I would say eyewitness. An eyewitness account of somebody who was there, who saw it unfold, and who can state in a sober fashion, rationally and um, in an organized way, mm-hmm. what exactly happened, that carries more weight in the judge's eyes and in the jury's eyes than any other uh, bitter piece of evidence, mm-hmm. the eyewitness account, as long as it's corroborated right. by other witnesses. Right. And the Bible... Um, talks about the fact that miracles were used to help people believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus did miracles, and uh, people believed because of the miracles that he did. Right, and, and G- he, Jesus actually predicted the biggest miracle of all, and that was his own death and resurrection uh-huh. in the sign of Jonah. Yep. So he knew what was going to unfold because he and his father wrote the script. So he knew what was going to happen, and then, and sure enough, it played out. And then people saw him rise um, and, 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 and walked with him and talked with him and ate with him. Mm-hmm. Here's what uh, John 20, verses 30 and 31 has to say about miracles. It says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So miracles really do have an important uh, part in the Christian apologetic, in the Christian worldview, and we ought not to just kind of ignore them because we think that uh, it's too difficult for people to believe in, because nobody believes in miracles. Uh, John 2, verse 11, uh, says that um, this, this is when Jesus did his first miracle. This is the first of his miracles that Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Mm. So miracles are important, and we're going to get more into the defense of miracles next week. But we want everybody to join us again next week, Sunday at 4 p.m. for more reasons to believe. You'll be joining Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. And always remember that the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true.